Let's dive in. What is your most quotable movie? Princess Bride. Dodgeball. See, this is actually a personality test, if you didn't know this. It's like, I can, you can tell a lot about somebody by the movie they quote the most. So we've heard Dodgeball, Dived Up, Duck, Dip, Dive, and Dodge, something like that. What was the other ones? Dumb and Dumber, for sure. Yeah, that's Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy, I probably say a Tommy Boy quote every single day and no one realizes it. Uh, and it brings me great joy. I smirk, but no one else is. What was the other one? Did I hear Little Mermaid? Yeah, I was like, a whole new world? Like, how do you throw that one in there on a regular basis? Um, one of them that was said was Princess Bride. Um, and I know we've done Princess Bride uh, before when we've done the marriage, the marriage, marriage with the W's. That's a good one. Uh, one of the memes that goes around a lot right now is this one, is over my shoulder, if you could. It's just, you keep using that word. I do not think you, it means what you think it means. Does anybody know what the word actually was? Okay. Where it's like, hey, you, that word is over and over. You keep saying it. But what everybody else thinks that word means is not what you're using this word for. Like you, and whoever's right or wrong, it doesn't really matter. But it's just the idea. Words for different people mean different things. What we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is kind of doing a little bit of undoing of this. It's like, okay, we use these words, and it's like, I don't think when we in our popular culture or in our church culture and a broader camp of evangelicalism, I, you, we keep using these words, and I was like, I don't know if we're all on the same page on what those words actually are. And so for the next two weeks, this week and next week, we're going to be doing what I'm calling a rechurch series. Uh, and it's going to be all about laying out some of the words and some of the ideas that are commonly used in our Christian culture in the church, or even looking at how concepts are used in broader culture and how the scriptures actually bring to light those. So for some of you, this is going to be a reminder. You've maybe heard of these things before. Um, for some of you, this is going to be like a software update. I love that Galen's wearing the I'm thinking shirt today, which is like the, the Mac symbol or the, of like somebody's mind is working. Uh, but a software update, like for many of you that, and I want to speak to a few of you that may have been grazed in the church, you've had a way of doing things in the church, you show up to Sundays, maybe you've heard of these things called small groups or life groups, you've heard of these kind of big chunks of what you're supposed to do, but what I want, what this is going to be is like, yeah, some of that hardware is still similar. We come together on Sundays, we sing, we have somebody come up and open the Bible. The hardware is the same, but we want this to be a software update in that what we're doing with the hardware may be completely different than what you're used to. So it's an update of the software, an update of an understanding, a new way of thinking and doing about the same things you may have done in the church for a while and with our SOMA um, distinctives kind of running through it. So some of this is going to be a little bit of a, a software update. 
But for all of us, this is going to be a little bit of a call to commitment. This is for those of you that have been with us a while. Every September, we tend to do something that reminds us of like a recommitment to being part of this church family for this season of our life. We recognize that Soma is part of a very, very long tradition dating back to Jesus himself. We didn't create this idea of the church. Jesus did. And then you have people like the disciples who heard a passage that we're going to open up in a moment. They heard, go and make disciples of all nations. And then you see what they did in the book of Acts. And what was it that when they heard, go and make disciples, what did they go and do? They made disciples and they planted churches. They, they formed communities. They strengthened communities around the gospel. And so that's been going for 2,000 years. We're joining in a tradition that goes back thousands of years. And yet... We in this moment in 2020, fall of 2023, uh, this group of people in this city with this city's needs, with the heart and desire of what we want to see based on what the scriptures are, we have an opportunity to recommit to what that means this next year. It's different than it was in ways. It's a different day than it was last year. And so this is a a little bit of a commitment. So what that means is, uh, if you remember some of you, we used to do these uh, covenant signing moments. Now we have uh, an opportunity for you to do that at any point online. So this coming week, you're going to see a form that kind of calls you to four G's. We're not going to go through these all um, right now. You can see that on there. But it's the idea of, hey, yeah, we're in. We're, we're into this. We're in our missional community. We're committing to DNA groups. We're committed to gathering with the broader church across all of our missional communities to grow in your own discipleship, to take responsibility for your own, to give to the extension of the work of the gospel, and to per, uh, personally go on the mission of Jesus in community with others. So with that being said, that's kind of what the next few weeks are going to all be about. We're, we're committing to this. And we're, but let's start looking at different words and different concepts that you keep use, we may keep using the word, but it may not mean what people think it means. So the first word we're going to look at is the word identity. The word identity. And the, I, this comes from the concept of, and what we'll say is being before doing. Who you are comes before what you do. On Wednesday night, our missional community, uh, we did an ice cream social uh, at Tim and Moe's uh, neighborhood. Uh, it's kind of a kickoff. We had been doing Traeger Thursdays all summer. We did this ice cream social, and there was a bunch of people I had no idea who they were. And it's great to get to know them. But I found myself falling into the same trap that I think many do. So when you introduce yourself, when you get to know somebody for the first time, there's kind of a sequence of questions that we all fall into. It just is. And what, are the, what is that sequence? What do you do for a living? Yeah, well, hopefully you don't start with that. Say, hey, what do you do? It's like, whoa, that's intense. We usually start with, hey, what's your name? And then if you're like me, you're hearing their name and you completely forget the second after. <laughs> like, I was trained by myself to say, hey, what's your name? And I'm already thinking of my next question. Terrible, awful. And if you're in my profession, it does not serve you well. But there's a second question that comes after that. And it's usually, what do you do? 
Yeah, what do you do for a living? There's something about our cultural understanding that we are able to size somebody up or understand them well by knowing their name and knowing their profession. And that summarizes their identity, if you will. You are an engineer. Oh, you are an engineer. So that must mean you are this way. It's what you do for a living. So that must mean this is who you are as a human being. That's our, that tends to be, not everybody, but that tends to be how we do it. We assign worth and identity to someone based on what they do, not on who they are as a person. For this culture, we still are in a day that what you do comes before who you are. And so what we want to do, if identity is about what you do, we want to look at the scripture and say, actually, when we look at the Bible, it's not doing before being. It's flipped. It's actually being before doing. So reminder or software update for you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Remember, as a quick reminder, this is the, one of the last things the disciples heard um, from Jesus. The disciples are the 12 people that intimately followed Jesus for three years, walking around with him. And they've seen him dead. Many of them deserted him. They have now been walking with him for an extended period of time after he has physically and bodily uh, risen from the dead. Okay, and this is what he tells them in verse 18. And, says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus is giving them is he's giving them not only what they are to do, but subtly in this, when we understand what he's actually saying, he's actually giving them who they are that will determine what they do. When you think of the commands of this passage, a lot of times people look at the word go and they say go as if it's an exclamation point command. But for, as a reminder, this is not an active verb. It's a passive verb. And what it says, it literally means as you go. So if I were to read it in the understanding of the original language, Jesus would be saying, as you go, therefore. And then the one command in there is make disciples. That's the command. That's what we're to do. We'll talk about discipleship in a minute. But then he goes on to say he's baptized, right? Baptize is uh, English form of the same Greek word. Like, ah, we don't know how to make it up. A new word. So we're just going to use the Greek words. Baptizo. Baptism was what you would do to a cloth. Our friend Abe Meisenberg does this metaphor, and it just makes so much sense to me. I, I can't help but undo it. So if you have a white cloth, you would baptize it or immerse it. Okay, that's all it means to baptize is to immerse. You immerse it in a purple dye. When it comes out, what do you now have? You no longer have a white cloth. You have something that now is identified as something different. It has a new identity. 
Baptism is, does that very thing. Now, for our sake, as, as a reminder, we, and this is a celebration moment. This year, we have baptized more than any other year as a church. We're currently at eight people baptized this year. Next weekend, we're baptizing our daughter, Joya, to make number nine. And I'm hoping that there's somebody that will be 10 by the end of the year, okay? So, awesome, amazing. You look around, you're like, I don't even see 10 people here. I know because they're in our missional communities and they don't know that gathering's important yet. That's how we do things, okay? So we're, yeah, I know, you're telling me, okay? So, that's awesome. But what that means is those people have now identified with Christ, identified with him in his death, and then come out of water in the resurrection. It's what we did last weekend at the picnic, which means they have a new identity, which also means you don't need to be rebaptized. You just need to remember your baptism. And it, what you're doing is you're remembering who you are in Christ. You, you're remembering what he's done for you on the cross and now doing in line with that. And so we, uh, I'll go ahead and show the picture. As a reminder, we look at this as we're disciples. I mean, remember the, uh, the primary verb is to make disciples. So that means that if you are a Christian, you profess faith, you are a disciple of Jesus and you are commanded to make disciples. That's just, that's who you are. We don't get an option to do that. A, another word for disciple is an apprentice. Somebody who follows, walks with, learns from the way of the master and walks in line and then helps somebody else learn in the way of the master that you just learned to walk in. Same idea, same word. And so because we're baptized in the name of the father, we have a new dad that makes us family. So we are the family of God. Brothers and sisters, love one another, argue with one another, annoy one another, forgive one another, watch each other's kids, um, sacrifice for one another. Just be a good family of God. You may come from a dysfunctional family. We don't want to emulate that. We want to emulate the good, healthy family of God under the fatherhood of God the Father. Baptized in the name of the Son, who is King. And what does Jesus say about king, um, his kingdom? Who is the greatest in his kingdom? Servants of all, the least of these. You want to be great? We're called to serve. Um, so, baptize the name of the Son means we're servants. It means we get to lay down our lives, as we'll talk about in a minute, for the sake of others. And then we're missionaries. Baptized in the name of the Spirit. The Spirit is the sent one from the Father and the Son. And so we look at us as the people of God, as disciples who make this a family of servant missionaries sent to make disciples who make disciples in everyday life. This is also as a reminder how we define our missional communities. Remember, this is not, okay, I need to go and do this. No, MC, this, this is who we are. We are these things. We are family. So if we're not acting like family, that means we're not acting in line with who God's made us to be. So instead of, oh, I need to get my act together and start doing these things. It's no, remember your identity. Remember who you are. Not the one that you've chosen for yourself that culture is kind of propagating right now. This is a God-given identity. So the first one, the first word is identity, not something that you get to choose, not based on what you do, 
but what God has done, and then we get to live that out. Second, the words that we keep using that we may not, it may not mean what we think it means, is the word discipleship. The word discipleship. And in culture, there's a lot of talk right now about finding your true self. There's a, a, in good and bad ways, because scripture actually uses that language. Like Colossians actually says, put on your new self. So this is actually biblical language. But culturally what's happened is that it's very much in line with the follow your heart. Do what, do, you do you, live your truth. You, you see kind of all of these cultural sayings this understanding is you want to live the best possible flourishing life as possible. The question is, what's the means by which you get there? What culture is currently saying is that you just have to do what, is, what you feel to be best for you in that moment. And then as it shifts and changes, do that. But is that the way of Jesus? The, the promise that our culture is making, I will say, is actually a good promise. They just don't have the power to make the promise because it can't be fulfilled by their ways. Because what does Jesus say he's come to give in John 10.10? 10? He's come to give it life and life to the full. Peter, and this is a passage I've been just ruminating on for a while now. Peter says that we are now participants, are partakers of the divine nature of God. So we get to abide in the life of the Father, Son, and Spirit that has been expressing love and sacrifice and care and, compa- and all the good holiness. That Father, Son, Spirit nature, we now are participants of like that's mind-boggling so what does jesus say he's come to give life what did we just sing he is the way the truth and the life so he wants that promise is a deep desire of humanity that's a good promise but the problem is the means to get there is not what people expect because the means to get to a life and a life that is full is not seeking life, but it's actually accepting death. You don't get the resurrection without the cross. John 12, 24 says, truly, truly, I say to you, Lest a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. There's multiple layers of meaning of what Jesus is speaking of here. He is speaking primarily of himself. He's going to go into the ground. He is the seed of the kingdom that goes into the ground, dies, rises again, and brings a new kingdom and a new earth and new life for all of us. That is so good. But he's also hinting at, hey, this is the way of what it means to be a disciple. Because he also says this in Matthew. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
What's the avenue or means by which we get to experience resurrection life? Death to self. In some crazy way in king, the kingdom economy, the means to life is through death. The means to experiencing what you deeply long for is by surrendering what you currently long for and allowing the Father to change your heart. Upside down doesn't make sense, but this is the process of discipleship. We talked about desires in the past, and desires, I think, are, are, can be good things. I mean, we've talked about Psalm 37. He gives you the desires of your heart. We've had to unpack the way in which we look at that in the sense that oftentimes you'd say, hey, follow your heart. Well, the, the heart is the, uh, evil and wicked and deceitful above all things, like Jeremiah says. So we think of that. When you think of that passage, think of that as your old self. That is the self that has not been crucified with Christ. That is a part of you that is not baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Spirit fully yet. That's the part of you that is still what the Bible calls flesh or sinful nature. But Ezekiel's prophecy that says, I'm going to give you a new heart, a, a heart of flesh, is, is this new self, new identity, new spirit-empowered heart that desires what God desires. So we have desires in us that God does not desire. And then we have desires in us that God does desire. Discipleship is learning which is which. And if the, the false self or sinful nature, those are the things that need to experience the cross. Those are the things that we need to bring to Jesus and allow him to prune and, and like work out of us. So that, because remember, the path to life is what? Death. You don't get resurrection without the cross. So it's learning, God, I give this to you. Will you give me new desires? Will you help me work this out? I want this, but I know your word says this. I want to believe, help my unbelief. I know you call me to this life, but I really like this life. I know you want me to be generous, but I really like this stuff. You see how the separateness between what you desire and what God desires, the goal is to bring that to the foot of the cross, allow him to change you, you to increasingly submit yourself, and then he will not then give life and life to the full. Does that happen immediately in this earth? Not necessarily. This isn't necessarily your best life now. What this is, though, is a promise that you will one day, even if it's when he returns, experience the fullness of life. So what is discipleship? Discipleship is not a class that you take. Discipleship is not a part of what we do as a church. We don't have a discipleship leader or pastor. That's like it's not a department or one of the things. It's not like we do mission and then discipleship. It's, it's not how it all works. All of life. If for all of us is increasingly learning to submit all of life to the empowering lordship of Jesus. So everything is discipleship. Everything is learning to do that. Everything is an opportunity to lay down 
our life, lay down our desires, lay down what we want to Jesus so he can give us what he wants and we can actually experience life. Because here's the thing. What we want may actually lead to death. I mean, you ever see a, a little toddler want to go play with a knife? It's a new shiny toy. That looks like fun. Well, as parents, what do we say? No. Or scissors or whatever. Why not? Because just because you want something doesn't mean it's good for you. That's a good father-mother expression of love. It's the same thing God's doing with us. And so we need to remember that cross comes before resurrection. Culture's promising resurrection without the cross. It doesn't work that way. The means of discipleship with all of our life is learning to uh, increasingly submit to the empowering lordship of Jesus. Okay, so identity. We, be, we are before we do. Being before doing. Discipleship is cross before resurrection. Submitting to the empowering lordship of Jesus. Number three, my favorite, is the word church. Church. This is the understanding that every day comes before Sunday. Every day before Sunday. You ask people all the time, what is a church? And they usually use it um, in two specific ways. It used to be more, and it's less in our culture, it used to be more the building that you go to. Less and less that's becoming true, but it's still there. Like, oh, I'm going to go to the church to pick up something. No, you're actually going to an office in a building to get something. That's not the church. It's still very, very deeply, even in many of our vernacular, it's the event you go to on Sunday morning. That's primarily in my interactions um, with people, both believer and not believer. Uh, it's the understanding that this time and space, 10 to 1130 or 10 to 12 or whatever, is church and we've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. We hope you never go to church again in your life. Amen. Yeah, that's good. What? No, because the church, this is not church. This is an element of how we live as the church. But this is not it. What it is, is the people of God. How do we define what the church is? Is God's people saved by God's power for God's purposes in the world. Notice God's people is the first part of it. It's us. So when you're at your house, hanging out with some of the people in your missional community, you're living as the church. When you are uh, with people, you're living as a church. So we want to recognize that the life of the church, this identity happens throughout the week. It doesn't just happen here. Does it happen here? Yes. Now, this is where I'm going to get, my, not get myself in trouble. I'm going to try to get myself out of trouble for a second. Because this is what people tend to hear when I say what I just said. They tend to hear, oh, Sunday's not important. They don't know that they're hearing that. But that's what their actions end up doing. Oh, if, if every day is important, then I'm, Sunday's not as a big of a deal. Now, let me reframe that just a little bit. Because, yes, I do. Ephesians 1.22. This is where, historically, we've gotten the name Soma. 
And it says, he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his soma, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We've talked about gospel saturation. That's what it means to be the people of God, the body of Christ. All in all, where you live, work, learn, and play, Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday. So I want to say yes and amen to this. And how we have set up our lives as the church is Sunday still does play a role. It's not like, oh, it's not that big. No, what tends to happen, let me bring you under the hood for a second. We want you to get deeply embedded in your missional community. We love that. We think that's wonderful. We think that's fantastic. And that's not the fullness of God's gifts available to the wider family of God. And so it tends to be in this little spot, but there's others out there that are available that we don't even know are there. And so what, on average, we're going to speak of the gathering on Sundays for a moment. In uh, the Northwest, uh, in, the, um, in the country, uh, I think it's 3% of the American population attends a Sunday gathering at least 36 times a year. Okay, you probably thought that number was higher, but 52 weeks out of the month or 52 weeks in a year, this study uh, looked at what they considered regular attenders and they, they put the number at 36. So that means that four months out of the year, this person is not attending. Follow me. And they and at that point, which is a very generous number, it's only three percent of the American population is a part of a Sunday morning. Okay. Some people would think, well, here it's probably lower than down south. Yeah, we get that, okay? In the Northwest, the average regular attender of a church in the modern sense of the, of the understanding is at a Sunday gathering one or two Sundays a month. That's regular attending. Now, I'm not that old. I remember when the norm was you had a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and a Wednesday night. And you weren't just there once a month, once a week. Regular attenders were two or three times a week. Like, some of you are like, yes, and Justin, don't go back there. Don't worry. <laughs> okay? I mean, when I was going to Bible college, I went to eight church services a week. Okay? I brought the average up. I, I, okay, youth, worship nights. I mean, just crazy amount of stuff. Chapels, just, ah, crazy. But so what I don't want to do is I don't want to say, yeah, that's the norm. We're just going to kind of fall with the norm. What we need to do is we need to rightly understand the importance of everyday life and how Sunday is important to serve that everyday life. I come from a church context where Sunday was literally a Super Bowl every week. It was called game day. Like you would, like that was the emphasis of everything we did in, uh, as a staff was gearing up for Sunday. That's one end of the extreme. The other end of the extreme is, oh, we're just gonna meet with three or four people in our house and we don't ever need anybody else. That's extremes. 
in most cases, extremes like that are not helpful. What we need to do is we need to understand church is us in the midst of every day. That is who we are. Just like your family, if everybody's not there, it doesn't mean you're not family. It just means that not all of the family is there. And we need to recognize that this is the space in which we as this Soma body has said, this is where we can get together across our missional communities to rub shoulders. And what we do here, and the main things that we want to accomplish in this space as the family of God, is we want to experience God together. Like what I prayed this morning and and what I, I pray every week that we gather is, God, would you make sure that no one leaves here without knowing deeply the love that you have for them? If, if we get that, anything I say, whatever. If, but if you get the experience of God's love, whether it's through music, whether it's opening up the scriptures, whether it's hugging a neck while you're having coffee, or that awkward passing of the peace that a lot of you introverts don't like that I do, but too bad. Whenever it is that you get to experience God's love, that's the goal is to experience him. I mean, Corinthians, when the people of God met, God shows up. So I expect when your MC is meeting for God to show up. The people of God are meeting together. God's there. Now, whether you are aware of it, you don't need to pray that God, would you, would you come be with us? He's already there. Just ask, would you make yourself known? Would you open our eyes? Would you see what we don't see? Would you open our hearts to know what we don't yet know? Yes, I want that in your DNA. Yes, I want that in our mission. And you better believe I want it here too. And we need that desperately. We need to experience God's love. But we also need to encourage one another. Like one MC could be going through a difficult time. One MC could be killing it. You may not know all that's happening. This is the space where we get to experience all those things. And this is also where we want to teach the scriptures. Exhort one another. Open them up. It's why we do teaching series. It's why we keep doing that part of it. So the word church is one of those words that people keep saying it in a way, but it's not the way the Bible uses it. The Bible uses it for a people, a body, a field. There's a lot of different metaphors to help understand that it's us in the midst of every day. So identity, discipleship, church, and the last word that uh, we can unpack is the word mission. The word mission. And what I want us to hear is I want you to hear friendships before projects. Friendships before projects. What is mission? What is mission? When we were in Tacoma, uh, when we were going through the church planning residency there, Darian and I were um, building some great friendships with some of our neighbors. Like we watched the Super Bowl that the Seahawks won with a bunch of Georgia Bulldog fans. They were not having a good time. I was having a blast. <laughs> okay. But they would, they would get their Sunday best on for Saturday, like college game day. Like, totally different culture. Anyways, I remember we were building relationships. We were, we were doing all the stuff that we were supposed to do. Running the playbook, right? Checking all the boxes. But then all of a sudden, they kind of just fell off the map. Like, what, what just happened? 
there. And through um, some conversations, we came to discover that they started to feel like that they were projects that we were working on rather than friends that we were making. And we had to repent and we had to own that because unfortunately at that time, that's how my mind was wired. There's something you got to do, do it. When we think of mission, we can think like that, that people are projects to be worked on. Or we could think of mission as projects of stuff that we do together. Hey, we serve this school. We, we love this neighborhood. And it's, it's more of a, um, there's no names and faces connected to it. Yeah, you got peoples and places generally, but you don't know actually names. You don't know, you don't have relationships. You don't know their story. You don't know what's going on in them. And so when mission is project in that sense, it never results, it very, very rarely results in discipleship because you're starting with something that's not relational. And discipleship is highly relational. So, hey, we're going to go do this amazing project. Good. Thumbs up. But don't call that mission. You're doing a service project. Praise God. Mission requires relationship. Because why? Because the mission is ultimately making disciples. Am I telling you not to serve? Obviously not. Right? It's not what I'm saying. But the pathway, and I'm discovering a lot of churches right now, and I'm interacting with a few that want to become missional, and they start doing projects. And I'm like, great, but how is your people learning to build relationships and friendships with actual people? Because the goal of mission is to see strangers become acquaintances. Acquaintances become friends, friends become disciples, and disciples become disciple makers. That's, that's mission. I don't know this person. They're a complete stranger. We had a um, quick story. Uh, and I think Tim and Mo do a great job of this. Uh, and in our life recently, we were coaching, um, last year we were coaching Josiah's basketball team got to know one of the dads and parents really well, and I randomly ran into him about a month ago at Fred Meyer, literally in the meat section. I was preparing to get stuff for Trigger Thursday. So, oh, hey, how's it going? Didn't remember his name. I didn't put his number in my phone so I could see if I had his name, and then I started calling him his name because I felt embarrassed to ask him his name again. <laughs> Welcome to my world. And then I was like, hey, what are you guys doing tomorrow night? We're doing this thing called Trigger Thursday. Come on over. They show up. Like his son, his wife, the whole family shows up. And all of a sudden, they're like, they were regulars. They would come on an often basis. I come to find out that they like games, like nerdy stuff. Sorry, Galen. They like that. They just go that way. So, guess what I'm doing? I'm trying to, I'm like, hey, Galen, what are you guys doing your game nights? I want to invite my nerd friend to be with your nerd friends. I'll cut that out of the story. Okay, but you, you see what I'm saying here. What am I doing? I'm just building friendships. Well, because he's an acquaintance now. I don't know their story fully. I don't know their background. I don't know all that stuff. But I want to become their friend. And what are friends about? Friends share the things that they love. And I don't have to force you to talk about what you love. So if you really do love Jesus, he'll show up in the conversation. If you're not talking about Jesus, it's because he hasn't captured your heart fully yet. 
His grace and his compassion and his love hasn't become the centerpiece of your whole being that you just want other people to hear about him. My concern is that we talk about missions so much that it becomes an obligation. I have to talk about Jesus. That's what we do with some. Does that help sometimes? Yes. Sometimes you need to emulate others in order to get where they are. Just how humanity works. But what's better than that is when your heart is so enraptured with God's love, when you understand what he's done for you, when you see the magnificence of God himself taking on flesh and dwelling among us, like the infinite God became finite. The one who was everywhere when he spoke into everything into being, whose universe is still expanding, he became a baby, completely dependent on other human beings, teenagers, for the, one of them at least. Like, what? Why did he do that? Because he, he, he needed to take on flesh, to take on the weight of our sin. He needed to live perfectly. He needed to show us what the kingdom of God was like. He needed to become friends with people. He was friends with sinners. He partied with sinners. He brought the better wine. He did all those things as an example for us. Ultimately, leading him to the cross, he proclaimed a kingdom that was not of this world. Jesus did not die because he was some nice guy. Jesus threatened the powers of the day directly, and they had none of it. And so how did he succeed? Through death. In your place, for your sin, to show you love, not because you earned it, but because he wants to give it to you. And then in his resurrection, he now inaugurates a kingdom, inaugurates a way of the world that's upside down, but his people get to live within as we go about doing this. And what is mission like in this kingdom, in this new way? It's by love. Paul says this to Timothy, what is the aim of our instruction? The tell us or the end? What's the goal of everything we do? What's the word that he uses there? Love. You can love a project, like a DIY project, but you don't really love a project. It's fun. It's good. But to love a person, to sacrifice for a person, to desire good for a person, that's the way of Jesus. And so what do we get to do? We get to build friendships understand our hearts. If I'm not talking about the things that we get to talk about here on Sundays and our MCs are talking about, it's a filter for me. Why am I not? It's not, oh, buckle up. We got to talk about Jesus. I'm going to say it 15 times this week. No. Ask. Why don't you? And it's likely because we've made stuff projects. We've been overwhelmed and we just need to go back to the basics. We need to rechurch ourselves. And it's why we go to the table every single week that we gather. Because every single week we need to be re-gospeled. We need to be reminded that his body was broken for us. That the bread symbolizing um, his body hanging on the cross was broken. No bones were broken, as John says, but he 
died in our place. His blood was shed to forgive us of all the most shameful, guilty things that you and I have ever done. And he died before we accepted his death. He pursued, he initiated, he started. We get to be recipients of. And so as we go to the table, I want you to think about your own life and story right now. Which, which one of these words do you keep using, but you don't think it means what you think it means? Which one of those do you need to reimagine and so that you can newly be the church again in this season? Because this is what the stuff that we're going to be all about again this year. Disciple making. Yes, we're going to have things throughout the way to enhance that. Still going to do labs. Still going to do seek first. All that fun stuff. But at the end of the day, all of that is to support you as the people of God to be on the mission of Jesus. To be, to experience your new identity. To walk as disciples who make disciples in, as the church on his mission.